Oh man, did the Pirates get hosed last night at PNC Park. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, which, if we are lucky, you will set to auto-downloads on your Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, everywhere. Any podcasting platform will allow you to do that. And we'd really appreciate it. Helps us out. The Pirates lost to the Indians 6-3 on a three-run, 10th-inning, non-home run by Carlos Santana. (laughs) Even Santana, I am certain, knows was not a home run. He hit a ball that was very, very foul, very much to the left of the left field foul pole at PNC Park. But it was called a home run on the field, and after looking at replays, someone in New York, presumably with their monitor on instead of off, upheld the ruling. Now, I'm not going to get into any debate as to whether or not the ball was fair or foul, because that's silly. I am going to bring up a few different things to think about, though, as it relates to this. But first, a preface. Look, this doesn't matter. I mean, the Pirates winning and losing right now, I mean, it'd be nice if they won some games. It'd be good for morale. It would maybe lift up some individual spirits and individual performances, and maybe Ben Charrington can trade somebody with a little bit higher value, blah, blah, blah. But the the outcome isn't what I'm getting at here. This isn't about, oh, no, we were robbed. It's such a terrible thing, and the Pirates are really going to suffer for it in the standings. This is more a reaction to what all went wrong here for this call to get butchered this badly. And first, I'm going to rewind to the bottom of the ninth inning when the Pirates should have won the game. Gerard Dyson, who almost never gets on base, got on base because of an infielding miscue by Cleveland. He gets on to first base. Uh, Didn't need to be bunted over. He's an automatic steal. Pirates tried to bunt him over. He gets over there eventually anyway. He gets to second base on an infield single, and the Pirates have something going. It looks like they're going to win the game, except that they're the Pirates, and you know that they're not going to win the game. How are they not going to win the game? Because Dyson gets caught napping off second base by the catcher. In fact, the catcher double-clutched before throwing down to second base, which means Dyson was actually trying to tempt the guy to throw to second base. Gerard Dyson's batting 143. There really was never any purpose to signing him other than optics in the absence of Starling Marte. Nobody wanted him, meaning no other team, but also nobody in Pittsburgh wanted him, at least outside of, apparently, Charrington and Derek Shelton. So he gets thrown out at second base. There's a challenge that comes as a result. But he's immediately called out. 
And this is the point to remember. Because that's now the default call. The way the replay system works, and man, a lot of people don't seem to understand this. The only purpose to the replay is to determine conclusively if the call that's made on the field, on the court, on the ice is wrong. That's it. They're not looking at the play from scratch. They're not forming an opinion on, hmm, we think he was out or we think he was safe. It's like a court of law. There's a burden of proof. The burden of proof in this case is entirely on proving beyond any doubt that the call that was made by the umpire or referee is 100% wrong. As such, the umpires and the referees still have a lot of power. They still have a lot of authority, and it's still really important that they get the initial call right because that's what shifts the burden of proof. So they show multiple angles of Dyson coming back to second base. Uh, His right hand runs into the infielder's shoe and blocks it, but his left hand comes around the other side, and maybe it touches the bag before he gets tagged but maybe it doesn't. There's one camera angle from one side, there's another camera angle from the other side, and they're not timed together, so you can't really know. You can think it, you can presume it, but in this system, the burden of proof is entirely on proving, proving, proving that the call that was made was wrong, and you couldn't do that, I happened to agree with the lack of overturn on the call. Also, I'm sorry, just on karma and principle, go sit down. And and you know what? Don't ever come back out again. Meaning Dyson. You deserve to be thrown out by a hundred feet there. And for that matter, the Pirates deserve to lose that game from the moment that happens, because of course they didn't score there. Of course they didn't do anything after that. So we get to the 10th. And Santana's ball goes up in the air, really high, headed toward the left field foul pole. But instantly, off the bat, you can tell right away the thing's a foul ball. And if you couldn't tell off the bat just from watching the ball and the swing, how early it was and everything else... You could see it all over Santana's own body language. He knows it's foul. He's regretting the fact that he got that much of a baseball and pulled it so badly, but he did. And then the umpire, third base umpire, just raises his finger and twirls it. Home run. Like, you gotta be kidding. Seriously? Really? <laughs> I mean, everybody saw that it was foul. Now, there are very few cameras going. Understand that. This is anything but a playoff-type scenario for broadcasts. They have fewer camera people in the building than usual. For that matter, with no fans, think about this, too. You would normally have fans somewhere up there in the rotunda, somewhere in the in, in the upper decks, who would be able to shoot things with their phones and, and show you 
absolutely definitively that there was no home run. Not that that would affect replays, but I mean, just for our own purposes. So as AT&T Sportsnet, which isn't particularly good at broadcasting anything, is showing the replays, you only see the same two angles back and forth. And as the umpires are huddling back there behind home plate, listening to what they have to say in New York, we don't know what they're seeing in New York. We're told that they always have access to all the replays. But all I'm thinking as this is happening is there's that camera. It's not manned by anybody. It's a robot camera that the Pirates put up a couple years ago, several years ago actually, out on the facade of the right field upper deck. Not left field, but right field. And that's to show river shots. You know which one I'm talking about now. Whenever you see somebody hit the ball into the Allegheny, these are the ones that pan way back, and you can see the ball going all the way from the bat and then into the water with the ducks and the boats. That's the camera. That was the one I wanted to see right away because I knew that would be the one that would tell me whether or not the ball off Santana's bat could possibly, conceivably, have gone over, over the foul pole. Because that's the one way the whole thing could have been an optical illusion on us. And when this replay finally aired on AT&T Sportsnet, it was after the decision had come down from New York. So was AT&T Sportsnet too slow to come up with that replay? For the people in New York to see it? Did the people in New York, for some reason, not have access to the footage from that robot camera through other means? Were they waiting on the telecast? Were they waiting on the director at AT&T Sportsnet to do that? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that ball was foul. Because when you see that angle, you see the ball very clearly going behind the foul pole. Not a guess, not speculation. One billion percent. The ball is going behind the foul pole. It's a foul ball. So what's my point here? Again, the Pirates got hosed, and again, no one will care. Not in the public, definitely not at Major League Baseball's offices. I'm sure they won't show it on any of the national networks. And again, I can't even blame them. The Pirates have dug their own hole for a long time now. But, you know, this season, being 4-15 and 15 isn't going to get you any kind of attention for anything. But here's what I would do, and here's my main point out of all of this. Derek Shelton said after the game that the ball was foul. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I thought it was foul. Uh, I mean, we had it foul evidently. You know, I mean, they called it fair on the field. And, and with the replay, they, uh, they confirmed it or it stood. But uh, from our angle, we thought it was a foul ball. Murphy thought it was foul. Gonzalez thought it was foul. So... But uh, they called it fair. That's all well and good. He's the field manager. He needs to go back out there tomorrow night. He needs to protect his players. He needs to not have umpires or the league office having vendettas with him. The Pirates, on the other hand, as an institution, need to make a stink out of this. It doesn't need to be anything 
that you or I ever hear about or find out about. I'm not talking about a stink for show. I'm talking about reaching out to New York to find out exactly what happened. Don't mess around with this. Because as soon as you do, that's when you're that franchise that everybody walks over. Not just in the standings, not just on the field, but in all kinds of ways. And you can't afford to be that team. In my eyes, Ben Charrington is the one that should make that call. But if you got to go higher up the ladder to Travis Williams or even to Bob Nutting, make the call. Make the call. You can't be tolerant of a decision like this, of this being accepted casually. It's a terrible look, and it's one that'll hurt you for years to come. With the league office, with people around baseball, and you know what, to an extent, the people around here who are still paying attention, because they, those people who did stay up and watch that game and know that the Pirates got hosed on that home run call, deserve to have somebody standing up for them too. Deserve to believe that the franchise that they're rooting for isn't going to take something like that without a fight. And again, I'm not suggesting anything comes of it in terms of some great big splash or whatever. You can do all this stuff behind closed doors, but do it. Protect your brand, protect your name, because that matters too. Maybe not this season, but it will moving forward. Oh, that was annoying. Can you tell how annoyed I was by that? It, again, it's not that they lost. They were going to lose that game anyway, okay? It, that, that has nothing to do with this. I was just super annoyed at the way it played out and how it just seemed like, oh, well, Pittsburgh doesn't have a baseball team anyway, so might as well stick it to them. That's how that felt. And that's completely different than the Pirates just falling to 4-15, which means nothing. When we come back, I will very happily switch topics, but staying on baseball. Welcome back. Sticking with baseball, but on a much broader scale. In fact, having actually nothing to do with the Pirates. A couple nights ago, Fernando Tatis Jr., rising superstar of the San Diego Padres hit a grand slam. I'm guessing you've heard about it because it made news everywhere beyond sports. It transcended sports. He hit a grand slam uh, for for the two or three of you who wouldn't have already heard about it on a 3-0 count when it's considered taboo to do that with a big lead late in the game. You're supposed to just let the pitch come red light, whatever, unwritten rules, blah, blah, blah. All this happened, okay? And everybody went berserk over it. How could they do that? How could anybody complain about that? Let the kid have fun. And it became this massive story, bigger than anything that's going on right now in sports. And again, it crossed over from sports to the concept of unwritten rules, and everybody was talking about this. It's a really, really big deal. And people were really emotional about it and really invested in it. 
all of which I would find to be very authentic and palatable if in the same breath those same people didn't say, I don't care about baseball anymore. Baseball has lost its way. I hate baseball. Heard that, read that everywhere. It's amazing to me that people think these two concepts can coexist. That on one hand, you could get all worked up and fired up about something that's baseball, not to mention something that's not really a very big deal in the world of baseball. A meaningless game, a blowout, West Coast, nobody watched it, wasn't on national TV. But they picked up on a story and they saw a reason to complain. And it's so easy to complain about baseball. Repeating myself, this isn't about Pittsburgh. This isn't about Bob Nutting or payrolls or whatever else. Just baseball and the United States. Everyone claiming that they were outraged. That neither the Padres nor the Texas Rangers saw fit to just let this young man have some fun. Who cares about baseball's unwritten rules? It's time to change baseball. Oh, by the way, also, I hate baseball, and I don't care about baseball anymore. My discussion here has very little to do with sports, or baseball for that matter. It has to do with this idea that we can say things like this, that we can say that I'm really angry about this thing, but I also don't care about it. It's become really common, and in sports, baseball is almost always that victim. Here's a hint. If you find yourself getting emotional or passionate in an argument or in a debate or even just passionately agreeing with or acknowledging a debate or an argument, a side that you've taken, chances are really, really good that you care about it. Picture this. Let's say something happens in lacrosse, right? Let's go with lacrosse. And let's say, oh, I'm just going to completely wing it here. Some guy has scored a goal in NCAA lacrosse by, I don't know, swinging the, I don't even know what the things are called that hold the ball. (laughs) Are they sticks? I don't know. Is it a lacrosse stick? So you take the lacrosse ball and put it in the lacrosse stick and you do something with it that's never been done before and you score a goal. I don't even know what. Just make something up. And there would be, within the lacrosse community, a little bit of discussion about this. Do you think it would go national? No. You know why? No one would care. I, I say that as with zero disrespect, by the way, for lacrosse. Just I'm just throwing it out as an example of something that most people wouldn't care about. It could be great. I don't know very much about it. It's not a knock. But no one would say anything. There'd be no response. You know why? Because you wouldn't care. Like, for real, you wouldn't care. 
You wouldn't even have to hate lacrosse. You just wouldn't care. You'd be apathetic toward it. Legitimately apathetic. Not forced apathetic. Not manufactured apathetic. Actually apathetic. You would not care about this issue. And if I started this show, this one, by talking to you about some lacrosse controversy, you would turn it off and you'd be well within your rights to turn it off. Because you wouldn't care. Baseball's different. Baseball, uh, look, we have things that we don't like about it. We have things that we feel, very generally speaking, ought to be fixed. And I'm saying that as a, as a composite of what I hear from people, with things that I feel myself. The economic imbalance is something that I focus on. The length of games is something that probably more people focus on. Um, it's an imperfect sport right now. It's got some problems. And just wait till next year whenever the real labor contract issue hits the fan. And it's going to have an even bigger perception problem. People will be angry with the owners and the players, even angrier than they are now. Way angrier, actually, because there will be a shutdown, which I'm totally in favor of, by the way, because it could lead to the salary cap. But I digress. The reason that we fuss over baseball the way we do, the reason that the Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam made such an imprint on our society for a 24-hour news cycle is that baseball's part of us. We're Americans. It's baseball. No, it's no longer the national pastime. Football has passed it, but it's still baseball. We still love it. We just do. It's not about bob nutting. It's not about payrolls. It's not even about length of games or anything else that has us upset with baseball. Those things fade over time. Bob Nutting won't be here forever. This economic system, I don't think, will be in place forever. The length of games will shorten. Baseball will still be here. It's not going anywhere. It's part of who we are. When Neil Huntington first came to Pittsburgh as GM, we used to have a lot of talks about a lot of different things. And one of the things he used to ask me about a lot was just Pittsburgh's relationship with baseball. And him being kind of a numbers guy, he had done his homework and he looked up the history that the city had with attendance. And it was never very good. So when I told him, this was one morning in Bradenton, obviously a long time ago, like a decade ago. When I told him that I thought Pittsburgh was a latent sleeping giant when it came to baseball. He, he laughed a little bit, and I don't blame him. I, there's no shot taken there at all, and none interpreted. He just looked at the numbers and said, I don't know what you mean. The city's never really drawn. I said, well, look, okay, for one thing, you know, at the time they were in the middle of a 20-year losing streak. And even before that, you have to go all the way back to 1979 for a World Series champion. And then before that, they played at Three River Stadium, which was never a baseball-friendly place. But I told them this is a sleeping giant. You'll see that Pittsburgh 
has baseball in its blood. The Pirates have been here now for 134 years. We can't shake the Pirates. We can't shake baseball. We're the National League's second oldest city. So when the Pirates did win those uh, playoff berths from 2013 to 2015, and everyone across the sporting world got to see what Pittsburgh actually can be as a baseball city, he and I had another discussion on this same topic, and he said, yeah, you were you were right. Believe me, he didn't think I was right very often, so I'm not saying that as if it was some great pat on the back. But yeah, I mean, that was, that's what Pittsburgh is. It is its latent sleeping giant. I still believe that. If the Pirates took off in 2021 or 2022, the city will erupt for them. No doubt in my mind. No matter how angry you are with them or whatever. Hey, Bob Nutting was the owner in 2013 to 2015 too. Place sold out. Didn't matter. Because it's part of who we are. It's also part of who we are as Americans. So if you want to get angry about Fernando Tatis Jr., if you want to get angry about baseball's unwritten rules, go nuts. But please, please spare me the stuff about how you don't care about baseball. It doesn't make any sense. When we come back, some football because that's where I spent my day yesterday. I spent yesterday at Heinz Field, first time I was over there for the Steelers training camp, uh, which opened to the media on Monday with the beginning of padded practices. That's true across the NFL. We're allowed only one reporter per outlet. Again, also true across the NFL. So Dale Lawley went in there on Monday. I went in yesterday. And, man, I had a good time. I know you're not supposed to say stuff like that whenever you're on this job and we're all super professional and just going to work and all that other stuff. I was really happy to be there. I just was. Um, I always enjoy being around the Steelers. Um, I enjoyed the very brief and a very distant couple of interactions that I had with the, the players who could see that far and see through my mask and find me up there. It's a fun group. It's a really good group. It's also very talented, and I could go through and tried to, in a full column that I wrote for DK Pittsburgh Sports, it's up on the site now, uh, every single player who did really well and who impressed and a couple who didn't and everything else. But ultimately, I find that anytime I bring up the Steelers, everybody only has one question anyway. So I'm going to use this last segment to tell you that Ben Roethlisberger doesn't look good. He looks tremendous. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought, and now during the pandemic, the need for food is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you would just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell those first three words out, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. 
I was looking for flaws with Ben, to be honest with you, because I'd, I'd heard and read and seen what you've heard and read and seen to this point. And I allowed myself to take a cynical stance entering this because I was saying, all right, well, they could just splice the film together and it would just be his good throws that they would show you. And he had everything going on. I mean, whatever it is that you want to hear from me, I'm going to give you the same boring answer. He was tremendous. Uh, he had zip on the ball. He had touch. He was putting it up for distances. He was waiting out his receiver to get open late on a route, understanding that that's a little bit easier to do when there aren't people trying to kill you. His timing on routes to the corner of the end zone, his timing on one particular pass where Deontay Johnson came back beautifully, elegantly, inside the goal line, pulling away, uh, seemingly effortlessly, away from two defensive backs who were on him. And Ben just has the ball waiting there for him. It was something to behold. Uh, when I hear Vance McDonald gushing the way he did yesterday, boy, did he ever, about Ben Roethlisberger's motivation, about how he is so determined and so focused on winning another championship, it means a little bit more because Vance McDonald occupies the stall next to Ben over on the south side where they generally spend most of their time together. He knows him pretty well. He knows him as well as, I don't want to say as well as anybody in the room because Marquise Pouncey's been around a long time and those two are very close. But Vance is... Ben's dude, and vice versa. And when Vance comes forward and says, yeah, I mean, he was always motivated before, but this is a little bit different, you can see it out there. Um, you can see the the focus that he's got above and beyond everything else here. I mean, it's hard to show passion in a practice, so I'm trying to find a, a more precise word there. Ben was lasered in on everything that he was doing. There was nothing that was half-hearted. There was nothing that was, ah, here's another drill i got to go through. He was putting the ball where it needed to be put and how it needed to be put there. If there are any issues related to that arm or to that elbow, they are not remotely evident, certainly not to this untrained, unmedical, if you will, eye. But just looking at him as a quarterback, looking at him as a thrower of the football, Ben is just tremendous right now. They just need to keep the man upright and everything will be fine. Don't forget that we also now have daily Steelers and Pirates podcasts here on DK Sports Radio. The Steelers show is put together every weekday by Dale Lawley and Chris Carter. And the Pirates show is put together by Alex Stump and Noah Hiles. They're available on the same podcasting platform that you find this show. And I'm grateful that you listen to this one. Thank you. Your front door, your car, your gym locker. 
your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.